Thank you for listening to the BJJ Brick Podcast. We'll be bringing you Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and good times. We hope to flatten your Jiu-Jitsu learning curve, help you get the most out of your grappling ability, and meet your goals both on and off the mat. Welcome back, my friends. This is episode 200 of the BJJ Brick Podcast. My name is Byron. I've got Gary with me. Gary, how you doing, my man? Oh, I'm doing great. I never thought we'd get to uh, episode 200, uh, you know, a very big special episode. You know, we could have never made it this far, you know, without every all of our fans here or listen to us each and every week and support us. So, you know, a big thanks to uh, everybody listening. Yeah, thanks a lot. And it's you guys have been great. Uh, Gary's right. Without you guys listening, without you guys uh, sometimes uh, supporting us financially by buying our products or on Patreon, or supporting us emotionally by commenting on things and sending us emails saying how you enjoyed an episode. All these things have helped us uh, get to episode 200. Or even just listening to the show and, and maybe telling a friend. That's been huge. Uh, so, you know, yeah, go ahead. You know what's even crazy is I remember back earlier, in, you know, in our career here, um, you know, we are new at this. We have no clue how to do audio or whatever. And I remember uh, uh, some guy listening to us who's a, uh, you know, practice jujitsu and send us an email that he's a sound technician or audio ex- expert and, uh, you know, helped us out there too. I mean, it's just incredible the the people you meet and, uh, you know, the people are willing to help out. I mean, you know, for nothing, for free. I mean, we don't make money here and the guy's just like, Hey, I'll, I'll help you out and, uh, and, uh, you know, make your sound quality a little bit better. So, you know, just incredible, uh, you know, people just willing to, uh, you know, give us their expertise and help us out. Yeah, and that was Eric, and uh, thanks very much, Eric, for, for doing that. And we've had several people kind of help in, help out with that. Uh, sound quality might sound a little different today. Gary, why is that? Well, you know, I just happen to uh, not be on uh, Skype here. Um, I am on vacation, and uh, where I'm at, uh, first of all, I did forget, uh, you know, my microphone and headphone and and we ran into a bad time with, uh, you know, trying to schedule all this with me going away on vacation. And uh, so I am on a uh, cell phone today. So we do apologize for uh, if the audio does not sound as, sound as great as uh, it normally does. But it sounds good enough, and we, uh, we have Gary. That's the main thing. <laughs> Probably would have been a better show without me, Byron. Probably not. I, I, don't, I don't want to do this without you, Gary. This is too much fun. Oh, well, thank you. Make me feel special. <laughs> That's right. And another way uh, you could feel special is if you get an email delivered to your inbox uh, every week with all the show notes from the current podcast episode. Uh, go to our website or our Facebook page and sign up for our email list, and every week we'll send you the show notes. We'll let you know what's happening and uh, just basically uh, keep you connected with the show. Pretty simple and pretty easy. Speaking of special, uh, we forgot to, uh, you know, we got uh, talking about our 200th episode, yeah. and, uh, you know, talking about me being on vacation, you know, so a special episode, and uh, we have Corbett Miller on. I know we, we forgot to mention that right off the bat, but, uh, you know, we've had Corbett on before. It was an incredible show. Um, we were trying to figure out who to get for the 200th episode, and, uh, you know, uh, we looked at each other, and we said, Corbett Miller. Uh, we had such a great time before. 
So uh, stay tuned, and uh, we're going to have part, well, not part two, but second time Corbett's been on the show. So uh, definitely stay tuned uh, for the interview. Yeah, the, the show. Uh, really love having Corbett on. It's his focus and what he's talking about with teaching kids is really going to have like that long-lasting ripple effect over the next 20, 30, 40 years in jiu-jitsu, uh, the way that things are going to change, the way that the current kids are going to become the next generation of leaders and, and athletes. It's just going to be amazing. So, yeah, Corbett, he's really bringing the next generation up and helping uh, do that, and we're, we're happy to be part of that process and, and help get what he's talking about out. If you own a, a school or help teach or help teach kids, these are all things that are going to be great to hear today. And it's just something that is uh, – I'm really excited about getting behind him and supporting him with that. Uh, with that. Also, Gary, we're, th- we're thanking the listeners, and, and they are definitely – uh, a huge factor to our success in, in reaching this milestone, episode 200. Also, I have to thank all the guests we've had in the past. And uh, we definitely can't list everybody. But uh, I'm always impressed when I email somebody, hey, would you like to be on the show? I get a hold of somebody and they say yes. Somebody like Corbett Miller or any number of the the guests we've had. You know, I don't know if it hasn't been, I don't know, I don't know what the count is because some episodes we have more than one guest, some episodes we don't have any guests. But it should be right around 200, I would guess. But a huge uh, thank you to anybody who's appeared on the show as a guest. And it, it, it's been a great learning experience for us to have all these people on the show. Yep, and you can tell we're getting bigger, too, as uh, we get more and more people emailing us wanting to be on the show. You know, they've got something going on. So uh, that's always, uh, you know, if you have something to bring to the show and, and you'd like to be on it, you know, definitely send us an email and uh, we can see if we can make that work. Yeah, we 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 still like to have uh, we like to have athletes. We like to have uh, top level coaches, and then occasionally we like to have normal people who have have a story to share and and are highly highly relatable. And uh, I think that that there's room on this podcast for all of those categories. Now we'll probably get twenty or thirty emails tomorrow uh, from people who just want to be on the show and and have this crazy story or this interesting thing that they have discovered about their jujitsu. And we won't be able to get everybody on. But uh, that being said, we're always uh, happy to have uh, the occasional uh, basic listener to that has something to share with the audience. So that's uh, that's fun. And also, like we were talking about the support of the show, uh, um, another way you can support besides just listening is to check out uh, audiobook. Uh, your first year in BJJ, uh, it's two and a half hours of content, and it's only $11.99. Uh, the proceeds uh, support the show. Uh, as Byron always says, uh, keep this brick floating. Uh, basically it's going to walk you through your first year of jiu-jitsu and, and that's a tough uh, year. There's a lot of drop-off during that time. And, and our goal, our mission uh, with this podcast is to grow jiu-jitsu. We want more and more people to train. And if we can get you through that first year, there's going to be more people on the mat, uh, which is going to bring smiley faces to both Byron and I. Um, but uh, there's definitely a lot of different chapters anywhere from, uh, you know, trying to find the right school to uh, preparing for your first competition. So definitely uh, check out the link there in the show notes and uh, and uh, check it out. It gets great reviews, and uh, hopefully you'll buy it and like it. There you go. And uh, I really think you do. I haven't had anybody complain about uh, not liking the audiobook your first year of jiu-jitsu, so I think it's helped out a lot of people. Yeah, I guess I shouldn't have used that terminology. No, it's it makes okay. it sound like it's... Uh, <laughs> you never want to put not liking in something when you're selling it. Uh, Gary, the master salesman, yes. Yeah, um, you know, as uh, one of our previous guests, uh, Brian Marvin, who's been on the show maybe twice, 
You know, he talks about ABC. And in the sales business, they always talk about it always be closing. But in jiu-jitsu, as Brian Marvin says, always be choking. And I think I choked a little there <laughs> by uh, talking about not liking <laughs> Oh, don't be too hard on yourself, uh, Gary. We've been doing this for a little while, and, and you have to. Same thing with just you have to occasionally just laugh at yourself and say, "Hey, that was funny," or kind of odd. And yeah, uh, you know, you've done probably a hundred and hundred or so things about the audio book, or probably not that. We hadn't, we didn't start off with the audio book, but uh, done it many, many times, and many of them have been like amazing. And uh, this one I thought was also good. It's just I like having style. Some podcasts kind of they air like a pre-recorded. Uh, promo or advertisement i think it's fun that we kick it around every time and talk about it and uh it just kind of keeps it lively yeah you know each week we have to figure out from the cusp and it keeps our brains from uh you know going into dementia status so uh it keeps us fresh <laughs> just like that donuts how we like them delivered <laughs> hot and fresh that's true uh our quote is a little bit old it's not a, not a brand new quote but that's okay it's from from a legend isn't that right gary you know, it's definitely from a legend, uh, a guy named Babe Ruth. And uh, uh, Byron, I forgot to write down the quote, uh, so if you could, uh, you know, say it for our audience here, please. Yep, yeah, yeah. So uh, usually Gary is at home on Skype, and he's got all the notes uh, in front of him. He's really going the extra mile this time. He's on his uh, vacation. He's just he's on a phone. He's taking his precious vacation time away, and really appreciate that. So, got to thank Gary for being here with me for two hundred episodes. Man, I almost forgot to to do that. That would be uh, just uh, thanks, Gary. Man, uh, couldn't have done it without you. Oh, man. you know that just that just brought a tear to my eye. Yeah, thank right. You. <laughs> anyway, Gary, the the quote here from Babe Ruth. Never let the fear of striking out keep you from playing the game. You know, and, and that is so true. Um, you know, you see people who don't want to do something just because they're not good at it. Um, you know, it's not just sports. It's life, too. Um, you know, you can talk about, you know, not taking a job because you're, you're afraid you can't do it. Um, you know, not getting out on the mat uh, because you're afraid you're not going to be very good at it. And, uh, you know, think how much we're going to waste in life if we don't just take that chance you know just just jump and jump in and try it and you know i can think back to uh, when i first started jujitsu um you know i'd heard about jujitsu and uh you know watching hoist gracie and the early ufc's and i wanted to try it and i found out there was a, a jujitsu school in town and uh, you know i said yeah i'm gonna go on down there and try it and uh my first day uh, i go on down to try it and i drove right on right on by and uh, came right home I was uh, too scared to uh, jump. I didn't take the chance. And, uh, you know, but uh, it kept nagging me, uh, you know. So the next week I said, hey, I'm going to do it. And uh, and uh, I had enough guts to, uh, you know, try at that time. Uh, you know, like I said, the first time I, I was a little nervous and I uh, didn't stop. I just drove by. But uh, the second time I stopped, went in, and, uh, you know, the rest is history. And uh, if I didn't, uh, you know, take that chance, you know, because I was terrible. And, uh yeah, you know, rolling with Byron, he'll still say I'm terrible. But, you know, it doesn't matter as long as I have fun. And, uh, and you know, I had fun. And, you know, I, it's it's something I'm going to do for the rest of my life. And uh, if I didn't, you know, just take that chance, boy, I can't believe what I'd be missing out on. And, uh, you know, how much I've learned, how much better shape I've got into. And, uh, you know, just, uh, just learn a new art. Uh, you can't beat it. I think most of our listeners train jiu-jitsu. I, I know that there are definitely some that are listening who are interested in jiu-jitsu and for one reason or another haven't started yet. 
uh, definitely if you could just kind of pass that hurdle don't hold yourself back uh, you really you don't have anything to be afraid of as far as uh, not doing good at jiu you're not going to do good at jiu because you don't know it yet and and don't have that big unreasonable expectation of of coming in there and being great at something that you've never done before uh, come in there and learn how and, and train and, and and to meet the team that is near you uh, you'll have a good time Jer- gary you also i'm almost called jerry jerry uh is that your name is your name jerry it's only been 200 episodes <laughs> gary well some people do call me the jerry springer of jiu-jitsu <laughs> so maybe that's what you're talking about <laughs> always getting on fights on a stage uh yeah <laughs> But you mentioned uh, not being afraid to take a job or something like that. And I think that's a good example of, of some people let fear hold them back. I read a study, and I hate just saying that because it's so lame to say that. But uh, somebody did a study about the, the upper executives and people who are high up in companies and doing well. And it, something that they found that was common is that they took positions they weren't 100% qualified for. And they applied for jobs that they weren't 100% qualified for. So you might see a job application and you might see these 10 things. And yeah, I could I, seven of those things I'm qualified for, but these last three that are on here, I don't have that certificate or I don't have this. Um, I haven't had, I haven't had seven years of doing this experience. I've only had three or something like that. Well, the people who, who are getting a lot of success in, in the uh, business world or whatever, they apply for those positions anyway and they go for them aggressively. And, uh, they just let the, the chips fall where they may. Sometimes they miss them, sometimes they get them. And same thing if you're trying to work up the ladder at work to apply for a position you're not quite qualified for, it probably isn't a, a terrible idea. If you're if you're nearly ready and you'd be a good applicant for that spot, they would probably respect your enthusiasm and your, uh, your willingness to get after something like that. And, uh, and it really just shows that you're, you're putting your hat in the game early. And uh, I don't know. I think that's an interesting thing that uh, that blank study that I had read a while back noted that people aren't afraid to people who are high up in companies have not been afraid to apply for things that they weren't qualified for. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, just like myself, I remember, uh, you know, I definitely am not qualified for, but I did apply to become the president of the United States. Um, I didn't get a call back or anything. But, you know, I was like, hey, I'm just going to put myself out there. and Who knows? Maybe uh, maybe I'll get lucky. And get an interview. I think I think you did get lucky, and now you're a podcaster with the <laughs> with, with with the actual job, you know, the is, I, not the president. Yeah, I never really had to apply for this job either, and uh, you know it was something I never didn't even know what a podcast was. And uh, see, look look what the rest is history. Yep, you've been trying to wiggle out of it for 200 episodes in a row. <laughs> <laughs> but Byron won't let me. Uh, take take in this quote. Yeah, I won't even let, give, won't even give you a break on vacation, Gary. Man, yeah, he's pretty driver, pretty ruthless over here. Uh, taking this quote to jujitsu, you know, is there that person that's on the mat that always beats you or uh, just just has your has your number? You know, that you just can't seem to to get your game going against them. Don't be afraid to keep rolling with that person. It, it, they may not be the most fun and enjoyable roles for you. When you when you slap hands and you know okay, nothing I am gonna do is gonna work, but don't let that keep you from from rolling with the person. Still get that experience, and, and still still do your best. And uh, and those those roles sometimes could be a lot of growth. Not always. Sometimes you just get smashed. and You don't learn anything. Sometimes they're so far out of your range of of 
skill level, you end up doing things that are kind of desperate and may not be that that smart or in, in your game plan. But if you can kind of keep yourself trying to do what's right uh, while you're with somebody who, who's significantly better than you, don't you know, don't let the fear of striking out keep you from, from uh, getting on the mat, playing baseball. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's just everything. It's, you know, life on the mat, uh, you know, you could take it to relationships, getting married. You know, I, I've heard of people say they're afraid of getting married, you know, because of this and that. And, uh, you know, they finally took that step, uh, you know, having a kid. I, I remember, uh, you know, I did wait, you know, longer uh, to have kids than, than most people. Um, you know, it's just because I, w- I was afraid. I didn't know if my finances were in order. I didn't know if I was ready. And, you know, shoot, I'll never be ready. I, you know, and same thing with jujitsu. You know, was I really ever ready? Is you know, I chickened out the first time I tried to go. But uh, you know, hey, just jump into it, uh, have fun, uh, and uh, you know, the rest is history. You know, if if you like it, you'll stick with it. But uh, you know, let's try it. But uh, you know, you bring up a good point too. I, I'm just thinking of starting jujitsu, but. Like you said, uh, if somebody of much higher level than you and you get on the mat with them and, and, you know, don't be afraid to do that either. Um, it's going to be a learning process. You're going to learn. And, uh, it also, you know, when I get smashed really bad and, and get, you know, absolutely destroyed, it just makes me realize how much more there is to learn. Um, you know, this is a sport you're going to learn every day. Uh, I don't care if you, you've been training, you know, 20, 25 years, you're still going to learn. And, and that's the cool thing about it. Somebody's going to teach you something. You're going to learn something that you didn't know before. And, uh, you know, it's infinite. It doesn't stop. And, and we've just got so much room to improve and grow and, uh, and get better. So uh, that's another aspect I like of this sport so much. Yep. And just like in, uh, for life as in baseball, you get four strikes before you're out. So, uh, yeah, might as well swing three times crazy. No wonder you weren't very good at uh, baseball, Byron. Why is that? It's three strikes and you're out. Three strikes? Not four. What? Were, were, were you playing Amish rules? <laughs> I don't I don't know. I, I think I uh, wasn't playing much baseball at all, Gary. <laughs> I think there's a problem. You know, when when I, we first found this uh, this quote, and I was like, hey, this is from Babe Ruth. Byron thought it was from the guy who started the candy bar. Oh, I yeah. had to uh, correct him. Yep. You don't want to strike out with that candy bar. Yep. <laughs> but, you know, uh, I just thought, you know, we're reminiscing about our, about our uh, you know, 200th episode. Uh, you know, uh, one of Byron's favorite movies is The Sandlot, and they talk about the great Bambino. Yeah. And we had uh, Black Bell Will Horniff, who was on that show, uh, who was on the, in that movie, also on the show. So, uh, you know, the, the seven degrees of BJJ Brick. There we go. We've, yeah, it's just amazing who all we've had on the show. Uh, classic movie Sandlot. You can listen to the interview by one of the guys that was in that and is now a black belt, Will Horneff. So if you haven't heard that one yet, check it out. It's fun to, to go back. And, and I've had a lot of good times watching that movie. Uh, my sister and I used to yeah. watch it a lot as kids. And Byron actually wears a, a hat, just like the the star that Joe did, uh, <laughs> you know, at the start before uh, uh, Benny the Jet uh, gave him a new hat. So uh, Byron has that exact same hat, and he has to, he has to use it so his nose doesn't get sunburned. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Uh, the hat Gary's referred to in the movie is like a super long bill, you know, to keep my nose from getting burned too bad. It's a it's a very good so, idea. Yeah, definitely, yeah, check out the uh, 
previous episode with Will Hornet or check out the uh, movie with Will Hornet. Yeah, he's in both. <laughs> One of them talks yeah. about Jujutsu more. One of them's a little bit more towards the baseball side and is a great family <laughs> film. Well, just watching back to back, you know, yeah. have Jujutsu and baseball. You know, what's better than that? Can't go wrong with that. Speaking of cannot go wrong, before we get to the interview, I want to mention our friends are doing a BJJ summer camp here in Kansas. Um, it's in Council Grove uh, between August 18th through 20th. I uh, just want to give them a shout-out if you are in the area. Uh, it's got four black belts, Jason Burchard, Jake Smith, Derek Bohai, and Joe Wilk, all teaching jiu-jitsu. It's going to be an amazing weekend. Unfortunately, Gary and I will not be able to get up there, but uh, if we were able to, we would be. And, uh, yeah, so just this is the last time we could mention that on the show. Uh, it's going to be a great time and a great opportunity to train jujitsu. Fun outside, camping, swimming, and I hear they have air conditioning. <laughs> we'll put a link to the website so you can learn more about it uh, there if you're interested or in the area. Check it out, my friends. Yeah, check it out. Uh, you know, a bunch of seminars and, and barbecue, too. So uh, good times. Absolutely. Gary, more good times right ahead with our interview with Corbett Miller. He is the most interesting grappler in the world. As a side hobby, I often use my grip strength to go rock climbing. Instead of using a harness, I just use my BJJ belt. I know what you were thinking, but don't worry about me. My belt never comes untied. I am the only person with a flip phone iPhone. Oh, it's not what you think. It does not fold. If I flip my phone over, there is an adolescent digital jujitsu turtle shell that protects it from damage. I name my phone Van Gogh. I don't always listen to podcasts, but when I do, I prefer the BJJ Brick podcast. Stay sweaty, my friends. All right, my friends, I'm happy to bring back to the podcast Corbett Miller. Corbett, welcome back to the show. Thanks, Byron, for having me. I really appreciate it. It was great being with you last time, so looking forward to today. Yeah, and uh, it's really great to have you. you you're really knowledgeable with uh, a lot of things dealing with jiu-jitsu, but you, um, you're really specializing in, in teaching kids jiu-jitsu. Not that you, you can't, you know, you obviously you're good at teaching adults as well, but really if, if you're looking for help with teaching kids jiu-jitsu, you're definitely somebody that, uh, that is able to do that. We've had uh, Corbett's Kids, a little segment on here. We have some more of those still to go. I've just, uh, they're kind of, uh, if you have a question uh, relating to kids jiu-jitsu, uh, send it to me and then eventually I'll ask that to Corbett when, you know, our schedules match up and, and, and sure. that little segment has been a lot of fun. And, uh, and that's, that's kind of been some, it's, it's been really enjoyable for me to have you on the first time and have you on a couple of times since then, uh, in that little segment there, but welcome back to the show. Um, I hate to just, I don't want to talk too much here cause I want to let you get going. Could you tell us a little bit about yourself and just a little quick introduction, Corbett? Well, you know, I, I'm a lifetime martial artist. I got started when I was 11 years old and I'm going to be 47 years old next week. And, uh, it's, it's been a great ride for me. I've actually had my school for the last 20 years. Um, I got started in uh, stand-up martial arts, and uh, I was actually actually was recruited out of college. Actually, I was uh, already a, um, doing martial arts for a long time, and at the age of 23, I was recruited to come out here to Seattle and literally live in the back of one of 
Bruce Lee's original students' schools here in Seattle. So um, I got a chance to work with him. And, you know, the whole thing with Bruce Lee is that, you know, cross-training was really encouraged. So that's right, right about the time that, you know, people started hearing about jujitsu, and I got involved in jujitsu. I remember when my I got married 21 years ago, I remember uh, triangle choking my brother at my bachelor party. So <laughs> it's like, um, I remember like, uh, I have fond memories of, of you know, the, the Wild West days in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Um, it's kind of interesting uh, uh, seeing uh, Grandmaster Hickson Gracie getting his red belt. I did a lesson with Hickson in 1992, and I always joke, you know, it's, it's sort of like... Uh, you know, people didn't really understand Hickson at the time, but and I didn't understand Hickson. I mean, I was a white belt at the time, and I remember um, at the time I thought it would be like a a four year old playing uh, chess with Gary Kasparov, a, a great chess grandmaster, right? But but now that I'm a black belt, I think it would be more like my cat playing chess with Gary Kasparov. <laughs> so. Uh, I've been around the block in the jiu-jitsu community. Um, I received my black belt under uh, Professor Shanji Hibero. I competed as a master's athlete. I don't compete much anymore. Um, but at the same time, I'm, I'm kind of redoubling my efforts to really help um, grow the profession of Brazilian jiu-jitsu and especially you know, helping school owners to really understand and really enjoy the jiu-jitsu lifestyle. So uh, people say that word a lot, but I, I, I think it's something that – being able to express yourself through jujitsu, being able to kind of have a school that will support you and your family. You know, to be quite honest with you, I'm going through a transition in my life right now. My, my second daughter just turned 18 years old last week. And, uh, you know, I can't imagine a better profession to raise children in and really uh, enjoy yourself, but also have the means to, to you know, um, really have a great schedule, but to really feel happy about what you're doing and bringing this magnificent art into people's lives. And, um, you know, I think, you know, the other conversation is really, you know, if you want to do that, you know, if you're not teaching and having a thriving, you know, youth program, you're really missing the boat because there's a lot, I mean, it's, the, the youth market is much bigger than the adult market. And it's something that, you know, if, if we can really learn to be able to approach the youth training in the right manner, I think it will really put us on par with the other arts that can attract kids so much more easily in many ways. Why is it that you say that the youth market is much bigger than the adult market? Well, I mean, it's, it's sort of like, you know, there's lots of boxing fans, right? But I mean, how many thriving, I mean, real boxing gyms, you know, people that practice, there's a lot of fitness boxing gyms, but I mean, people don't like to go in and get smacked around and even MMA for that matter. I mean, MMA is popular, but it's not as popular as let's say the, the, the karate schools with kids. I mean, you know, there, there are schools, there's a karate school in uh, my neck of the woods that literally has a thousand students. And out of, out of those, out of that thousand student census, he probably has 800 kids. And it's not that, you know, we can't do that. I mean, my school has right around 300 students. Um, but at the same time, it's something that um, I, I don't, I think it's something that um, just in terms of the market, I mean, it's the market for youth martial arts is just, it's just greater for kids. It just, it, it, it's easier to attract. There's like, it's almost like an acceptable, it is an acceptable alternative for, um, you know, an after school activity. And I think especially Brazilian jiu-jitsu, I mean, has so many advantages to other other activities or, or other martial arts for that matter that it's it's just silly 
that it's not as widely practiced as it is. But I think that's changing. I think if you look at the, like the the tournaments that that are taking place, I mean, there's like you know, I know Fight to Win Pro, like these even traveling tournaments. There was kids headlining some of these events that I went to last Friday with my students. So I think it's becoming more acceptable, but. Um, I just know in terms of like what we have to offer, it should be something that is a no brainer for people to choose Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. Yeah, it's a, it's a great thing. And I think, you know, looking at how kids and adults are, adults work and, and, and go home and, and relax. Kids do things. They sign up for programs. They sign up for lessons. They're constantly in uh, certain things. So I think that bridging that gap to taking swim lessons or sign up for soccer league to jiu-jitsu that's so small to get them to go from soccer to jiu-jitsu well you think about it too i mean like i literally have a student well i mean the the person that works on me with this project for teaching uh youth brazilian jiu-jitsu is uh, one of my students he's actually partnering with me his name is brandon miller he's not related to me <laughs> my name's corbett miller <laughs> brandon Miller's not related to me he's like a son to me in many ways but he's a great example of of what we should want i mean he's a brown belt in in bjj he's like an advanced student in our stand-up curriculum he's been a student of mine since he was eight years old and three weeks ago, I just saw him walk across the stage and get his master's degree in education from Seattle University. And by the way, he's a fire breather. I mean, he's like just this, this crazy great athlete that is a shining example of, of what, what Brazilian jiu-jitsu can do or what martial arts can do. Forget Brazilian jiu-jitsu. What, what martial arts can bring into someone's life. And uh, so again – I have other students. I have students that have been with me since they were four years old, and now they're, they're juvenile blue belts. They're like 16, 17 years old that have been with me that long. You can have an extreme amount of longevity, especially if a kid gets passionate about Brazilian jiu-jitsu because the, the journey is long. I mean, and it's something that I think, you know, if we can ignite a passion in a student young, that's going to carry them over, and they're going to be a student for life. If there's a jiu-jitsu gym and a karate gym or just a generic, some other martial arts gym, what what does jiu-jitsu bring to those kids that, that most martial arts uh, don't deliver? Well, I, I think it's, it's a two-way street. What, do, what can Brazilian jiu-jitsu deliver that the karate schools can't? But what are the karate schools delivering that the jiu-jitsu yeah. schools aren't, right? Okay, so what I think in terms of what Brazilian jiu-jitsu can, can bring to a student, first off, you know, I, I teach striking. I've been, I've trained in Thailand before. I mean, I've, 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 you know, walked in those circles since I was a young man. Striking is, is something that, you know, it's, it's almost frowned upon. And it's something too, that like, um, you know, I think parents are becoming more and more conscious of concussions. And so, you know, striking arts, you know, compared to Brazilian jiu-jitsu is, is, you know, something that people can really prefer that. Plus I think, if see people just do a little bit of research in terms of the effectiveness of Brazilian jiu-jitsu, especially around ideas like bullying and the realistic self-defense curriculum that can be taught to kids, I think it really has a leg up on those other those other schools and other approaches. Um, plus, it's fun. I mean, Brazil. I mean, just wrestling, grappling is just fun. Kids are natural grapplers. I remember when my daughters were much younger. If I would run walk over to like you know pick up a piece of paper on my knees, they'd have their hooks in and trying to like choke me or something just playing around right kids just naturally like to roughhouse like that so being able to channel that into a way is, is something that's really neat for brazilian jiu-jitsu i just heard something really kind of neat and um by jocko wilnick the the person who's got the famous best-selling book uh, um extreme ownership and he's he's got his own podcast 
but he's also a jiu-jitsu practitioner and he's also a Navy SEAL. He's a decorated Navy SEAL. He's just like this amazing uh, athlete, super soldier. And he was talking to his son and he, he said, his son asked him, he says, dad, are, are superpowers real? And Jocko said, uh, no, son. He goes, no, there is one superpower. And this is coming from a guy that's jumped out of airplanes in the dark and landed in the ocean. This guy said the superpower is Brazilian jiu-jitsu. So, I mean, as a jiu-jitsu practitioner, you can understand that. I mean, if, and again, you know, not to poo-poo other martial arts, but if you're like a good purple belt, a legit purple belt or a brown belt, I mean, and no one has an idea about jiu-jitsu, you can control them like you're a magician. So I, I think there's that you know, part of it that we're teaching real martial arts that can be a functional skill set for kids that really addresses self-defense, but also can really improve their confidence by giving them the superpower, if you will, of Brazilian jiu-jitsu. But here's the challenge. Why then does the karate school have three times to four times the enrollment that the jiu-jitsu school has? This is why. Because they understand that as much as it's about teaching a great martial art, they also understand that there should be other conversations about things like life skills and understanding what that word means. It's not just a buzzword. Um, you know, there should be some sort of life skills training that's provided to the students right beside their Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu training. And I, I think you know, for concrete examples of things like grit and self-reliance I mean, and the growth mindset, there is no martial art that teaches that like Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu does. But it's important to be able to bring that out to people, to make sure that you have a methodology. And that's one of the things that I – that's my mission is to really be able to offer school owners kind of done-for-you ways of implementing life skills training into their program. It's very specific to jiu-jitsu. That's not recycled from the karate school because jiu-jitsu is different. We know that it's different. So there has to be approaches like the karate school is using that's been adapted to the Brazilian jiu-jitsu programs so that they can compete with those other schools. Because the thing that a lot of people don't understand, and you know, since I, I've spoken with you, I've, you know, we've brought a lot of member schools into the Kids BJJ Revolution program. And it, it's been neat because one of the things that we talk about is you know, trying to, to, to make our program attractive, not just to the students, but also to the parents. Because the parents are the people that are going to be able to kind of keep them involved in the program, maybe when they want to quit, maybe when they're getting distracted by other things. But if, they, if the parents see the values as being almost like a finishing school for kids and that they're, they're getting this input of their character development, you know, the, the code of the samurai or whatever you want to call it, right? Um, if they can really – you really have an effective way of teaching that and helping the kids to understand what those words mean, then all of a sudden you're building a much greater value for the family for keeping their student in your program, which is, I think, critical for the, the school owner uh, that, that is willing to attract a lot of kids. Yeah, you mentioned, and I just kind of want to get an idea of um, how important it is to have a strong kids program. If if you are running a martial arts school, and I think a lot of people are, find themselves in the boat of, I like jujitsu a lot. I'm pretty good at it. You know, you get to a certain level, and you want to open up your own school, and you do that, and you teach other people like you. But if you're missing out on the kids, you're missing out on a large part of. Uh, I guess the income and a large part of actually benefiting people with jujitsu. I mean, there's, there, it helps both. There's, there's no doubt and, about it. In that. Plus, plus if you look long term, right? I mean, you know, 
I love it that a lot of uh, many of my blue belts and uh, some of my purple belts and even a couple of my brown belts were kids with me. Because here's the other conversation, right? I mean, how many, how many like adults join or like you know, te- like late teen, early twenties, and they get to a certain level and they may go to another school, right? They've not established that rapport and that that loyalty with the professor. And why is that? Well, I mean, there's a lot of reasons why. But I think if you can get a kid that really kind of has that affinity for the instructor, that's kind of been brought up in that environment of life skills training where you talk about things like courage and self-discipline and all those things, then, then it really kind of solidifies that person's role in your school. And it, and it should be founded on you know their, their ability to be, to be coached at a high level and to really bring them through the ranks and to be a very caring and compassionate instructor. But I also think that just from like, I mean, being able to benefit the, the people that are going to need it the most. I mean, it's really kids. I mean, you know, I, I think, and again, I'm not a, I'm not a curmudgeon. I'm not this guy that's like, you know, get down on millennials or whatever. But I, I think, you know, our culture in many ways has become soft. And, and I think there's, you know, I think I spoke a little bit about this book last time when I was on the podcast. It's called The Mindset. And um, it's this book by Carol Dweck, who's a, a famous Stanford psychologist. And I think every, every martial arts instructor or jiu-jitsu instructor should read this because it's actually a, a great indictment for um, students learning to, to do Brazilian jiu-jitsu because it talks about you know, having this mindset of – you either have a fixed mindset or a growth mindset. And you know, it's, the growth mindset is really about you know, efforts rewarded, you know, attempts are rewarded. It's not just about in, uh, outcomes, but it's really about you know, um, you know, making sure that you understand that your skill or your intelligence is not fixed, but it's a function of effort and growth um, through like struggle and discipline. And it's, it's just a fantastic book. And I think jujitsu really talks to about that because again, you know, you can talk about grit all you want. Cause that's another big buzzword in education is, you know, mental toughness, right? Well, learn how to escape someone's knee ride, right? You know, put someone underneath neon belly and, you know, they're going to understand what it's like to, to be comfortable with being uncomfortable really quickly. And it's not a bad thing. I mean, learning how to struggle and escape and, and be mindful and, and be deliberate in, in your, your approaches, I think are all great life lessons that kids need to, to be able to grow up in this 21st century world that we're living in. Yeah, a, a lot that they get out of jujitsu. But um, even just from a, a business perspective, you said you have about three hundred students. What? Yep. How many of your students are kids? Uh, Two hundred and twenty-five. Wow, it sounds like a like a, a number that you have. That you actually, I was well, saying. you know, again, I, I mean, the thing about me too is that I've had my school for twenty-one years. I've been in the same location for twenty years. I have no delusions of grandeur. I've not like read an internet marketing book and like become a social media star and I'm not going to try to make people into martial arts millionaires, which I think is just silly. Um, I want to help people to, again, to develop this, this jujitsu lifestyle. And, um, for me, the, the market is kids. It, It is kids. It's like the difference between, um, Ferraris and Chevys in terms of markets, Right. You know, Ferraris are cool and they're like fast and they're, you know, spiffy looking. Um, But there's a whole lot more Chevy sold than Ferraris. Right. 
just the market is bigger for Chevys than Ferraris. And so when you look at like the total amount of participants in the martial arts sphere, it's almost like eight, 70 to 80% kids. And really, that's good news. That's good news for the typical gym owner. Because if you're teaching 100, if you're teaching 100 adults, you should be able to get at least 100 to 200 kids in that program. It's always amazing to me. Like, you know, I've been working with these schools all over the world, and it's amazing that people, like, they don't even use their school. Their school isn't even open till like, 5.30 at night. Whereas in reality, like, my school actually starts to wind down at about 5.30. I mean, the busiest time in my school is, like, 3.45, 4 o'clock. I mean, not, not you know, 5.30 or 6 o'clock. So it's actually good news if, if they can really wrap their head around being able to, to, you know, not dumb down their curriculum, but smarten it up. Because I think there's a lot to be said about not so much what you teach, but how you teach it to kids, which makes the biggest difference. You mentioned something I hadn't really thought about. Um, if I'm trying to schedule, you know, okay, my, my adult's class to be at this time and kids' class to be this or beginners' kids to be this time, what, what time how do you find that time? What's a good way to, to kind of narrow down, make that business decision about you, when to have You get on, on the internet and you find out when the first uh, elementary school gets let out in your area and then put the class 15 minutes after it. And that'll be one of your busiest classes. Why? Because parents want to get their kid in a program, out of a program, and get home to where they can cook the meal, sit down for dinner, and do homework and do all those things. So uh, that's actually some really easy system that you can do. And, and you'll, people will be surprised at how busy that first time slot is because people really want to get their, their activities out of the way. But you know, the other conversation, too, is there's also a need for, for an after-six program. Because a lot of parents don't get off work until 5.30, so they can't show all the kids around. So that's, you know, you can almost kind of book in two nice-sized classes there end-to-end. The challenge, though, for a lot of schools is that they don't have the space to devote to that, or their adult program is in full swing at that later time slot. So it's, it's something they have to kind of do. And, but scheduling is really important, for sure. Yeah, if you have a big enough gym to have a kid's class going on at one, on one set of mats and an adult on the other side, that would be really easy. But if you know you're having a f- typical gym, you need to figure out what time you want certain people to be on the mat space at certain sure. times. But I hadn't thought about that early at, that that mid afternoon time. School gets out, parents pick up the kids. Let's take them to take them to to grappling and, and get yeah, them to do that. Jiu-jitsu. Yeah, get their great workout in and get home and do homework. It's awesome. So that would have been one of my you know key mistakes off the bat. What are some common pitfalls that that people who uh, are starting or doing a kids program? What are some common things that they do wrong? Well, I think they, they start like a, uh, a youth program, and then they, they teach like they teach an adult. And then they wonder why the kids are lost, or they just can't learn jiu-jitsu, right? They, that's, you know, kids can't learn jiu-jitsu. Um, but again, it's, it's really being able, like, you know, in our Kids BJJ Revolution program, we have a, a done-for-you curriculum planners. Literally, it's like day-by-day, class-by-class that has, like, you know, we teach on command for our our junior students, and we'll talk about that in a second. But then we also, for youth students, uh, meaning like our 8 to 12-year-old students, and then our 4 to 7-year-old students, our little grapplers, um, have a different way of teaching. And I, I call it the flow model. And, and just a, this is a great example. If you were to give an explanation of a jiu-jitsu technique to a 6-year-old child, it may as well be when you're talking – 
Charlie Brown's teacher talking to those kids. <laughs> Never, wah, wah, wah. And uh, martial arts instructors, I don't care if they're you know, jiu-jitsu or, or Muay Thai or, what, or karate, they have a tendency to love to hear the sound of their own voices. But they, they, they forget that it's like kids, kids can follow you and mimic you much more easily than they can follow directions of a multi-step sweep or guard pass, right? So I'd use this model called flow. Flow means the kids follow and listen. So they're all kind of up in front of me. They're following and listening to what I do, whether it's a hip bump sweep or a double leg takedown or an X pass. They're working through this with me, and I'm mimicking it. I'm literally like, okay, raise your left hand, put your right hand, lift up with your hips. So they're following along with me and listening. And kids can do that much more easily than try to replicate some long-winded explanation that you do as an instructor. Then the O stands for on the instructor. So once the kids can do the technique, um, you know, they've followed and listened, then they do it on an instructor. That way the instructor can make sure that they understand how to do the move and give any feedback and correction and make sure there's no one that's doing it in an uncontrolled way. And then the W is with a partner. So then the kids can kind of work on that with a partner, almost doing like an on-command structure. And I'll talk about teaching on command in a second. So if, a, if an instructor can get behind that, they can, that's much, it's a much more effective way of teaching that four to seven-year-old group. Flow, follow and listen on the instructor with a partner. So that's just an example of, of kind of teaching in an age-appropriate way because you don't want to just be like spouting off some two-minute diatribe about, you know, the, the merits of a, of a tripod sweep because <laughs> the kids aren't going to get it. The six-year-old is going to be checking out, looking at other places. Um, so that, that's just one way that, that we kind of treat the students differently. Um, but it's not teaching them less. It's teaching them the right way. And, it's, and again, it's kind of meeting the child where they're at, not where you want them to be, which I think is a challenge for a lot of instructors as well. Yeah, I've definitely fell um, or make, made the mistake of trying to teach a child like I would teach an adult. And uh, and you have their attention for a little while, but quickly they kind of zone out and they, they can't listen to the explanations. Well, and, it, it, well the, there's, there's a reason why shows, kids' shows are half an hour long, <laughs> you know, I mean on television, right? It's because of their attention span. It's not, you know – it's it's just because of the way that they are, and someone would even say that kids' attention spans have even shrunk even more with you know advent of like you know prevalence of gaming and and phones and whatever. Um, so again, it's it's something that you have to meet them where they're at, not where you want them to be, because you can get them where you want them to be. I mean that that should be really you know what the goal of the program is. You know we we don't award black belts to to kids in our jiu-jitsu program. That doesn't happen. So what's what's the outcome that people are wanting? for a youth Brazilian jiu-jitsu program. And I always say this. It's like they sit down at, the, at their, their 17th birthday or 16th birthday, and they open up their presents, and inside of one of the presents, the kid is ready, is a blue belt. And the kid should be able to put on that blue belt if they've been a part of that school for five, six, seven years as a, as a, a child and be able to function well as a blue belt once they've reached that age. So again, that's really the outcome for any of my programs that, that I do with the kids is that I want them to have great – I want them to be brilliant at the basics in jiu-jitsu, fundamental passing, guard recovery, escapes, self-defense. Those are all things that you know almost anyone can get their head around is saying that, yes, 
it's not a barambola. It's not like, you know, worm guard. But what it is, it's the timeless jujitsu that every person's going to need, whether they're, they're doing those advanced things or not. That makes up the, the core, I think, of a kid's class and an adult's classes uh, are those basics that, uh, that need to be taught. And, and that's one great thing that you have is which techniques to, to really focus on for the kids. And they may not all be the same as you're teaching the, the adults for the basic techniques. Is, are there, are there, are they pretty much the same, or are they? Do they? Uh... Well, I, I mean, for me, it's it's like this. I mean, even with our curriculum that, that we have and, and our community that we have, I understand that there's people from Alliance, there's people from the Hibera Jiu Jitsu Association, there's people that have just wide and varied backgrounds in the in the Jiu Jitsu world. So what I've had to do is really kind of think about, you know. I mean, there's certain common denominators. I mean, you know, certain things about escaping, certain things about, you know, um, you know, guard recovery, certain things about, you know, um, you know, how to be able to uh, work submissions or passes. These are all kind of ideas that are, are common to a lot of you. And people are going to need to adapt it. It's got to be something that the physical skills have to be something that can be adapted to a different school philosophy, and that's really something I really believe in. Because I'm not going to tell someone to teach a certain way if they're, you know, have a certain way that they do a an underhook pass or a, a knee slice pass. Um, but again, I, I think you know to be able to get a, a student to where they can have that, you know, those great skills, we have to make sure that we look at the approaches that we use. Because again, it's it's the container. It's not so much you know what's in the container, but it's it's the container that you use to deliver the skill. It's the mechanism, right? So whether that's the flow model, whether that's teaching on command, I think all those things are, are ways in which we kind of have more appropriate ways of delivering that, that technical skill. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's got to be fun. I mean, it's, you can't just browbeat kids and make it negative and, and have like, you know, it be something where it's like the instructor is obviously frustrated. And so, you know, um, it, it's got to be something where the kids are interacting. And, you know, I'm not averse to the kids playing games. I'm, I, you know, we have like a whole battery of drills and games on, on our website that the, our, our member schools have access to. But they're games with a, a purpose. Like here's an example of a, a real simple game. We call it the guard game. So um, what it is, is it's, it's a, a, a rope game. So I have like a little rope. I stretch it in the middle of the floor. It's about like knee height. And you get the kids on one side of the rope, and you put like a foam roller or something on the other side of the room. All the kids lie down. They put the kid in closed guard, and their heads are going toward the rope and toward where the foam roller is at. Then the kids have got to try to open up the legs and get out of the guard, jump over the rope, and grab the foam roller before anyone else does in their group, right? So that's a fun little exercise, but it's teach them about like breaking grips, opening a closed guard, like, you know, and the person on the bottom is trying to keep them, their posture broken down and to, to be mentally tough and, and keep their grips together. And while the kids are doing this, it's bedlam. It's hilarious. And the kids are falling <laughs> down. If they hit the rope, they've got to go all the way back over inside the closed garden, start over from zero. So I just don't want the kids running around and playing, you know, duck, duck, goose. I want them doing things that have to do with jujitsu. And I want them to do things that are going to make their skills better. At the same time, you'll hear them giggling. And there's nothing wrong with kids having fun. Um, and I think it's something that if you can have the best of both worlds where it's, you know, they've got great drilling and fun drilling paired up with with great technical skills that they're learning it really makes a big difference 
Yeah, the the idea that it's got to be fun. The the kids have to want to come back. I think that there's a lot of wrestling rooms in there where a lot of the kids aren't actually enjoying the process of learning how to wrestle, but they have had that parent that went through wrestling and they know it's going to be a very you know great skill for them to learn. And so the parents just going to keep the kid in wrestling regardless of whether the kid is having fun. But in jiu-jitsu, sure. it's a little bit newer as far as, you know, most parents haven't trained jiu-jitsu that I would imagine most haven't trained that, that are bringing their kids in. So you can't rely on the parent to just keep pushing the kid. The kid needs to say, I want to go to jiu-jitsu today. I want, you know, I'm excited to be there and, and have that drive. Right. And again, I think it's, it's part of it is that, you know, it's, it's the environment. Is it a positive environment? It's something that, you know, the kids are like learning new things, but there's a tension between newness and, and repetition. There's a conversation around varying the different drilling. Um, one of the things that I, I really love to do with my kids is, is I, do the, I do interval training with the kids. Once they've learned a certain uh, a technique a certain amount of times, so they've got the mechanical skill down, we'll do rounds, but it'll be rounds of slow and right and fast and tight. And when it'll be like block training where they're just working on repping their X pass or their shin slide pass or their tripod sweep or their up and over sweep or their, their flower sweep. But there's, you know, 20 seconds of slow and deliberate work. They're moving like they're on slow motion on a DVD and just like turning the kid over and going to the mount. And it's like 20 miles an hour. It's the speed that they go. And then the other rep is the other side of that is that they switch off with their partner, they do it slow, and then it's fast and tight, and it's as fast as they can go. And it's going to not look as clean as, as when they were doing it slow and right. But, you know, by the way, when you're, you know, executing a technique in real life, it's, you know, and it's when it's fast and tight, there's normally a little bit more roughness to it. And that's kind of like part of that, that drill. And, you know, your listeners can do that with their kids today. And that would just be like a fun, and they love doing stuff like that. By the way, it's a great way of training, and I think even adults can benefit somewhat from that block training model as well. Yeah, I, I like how you have you have all these names for things. That way, when you say you know slow and right or fast and tight, the kids know. Like you don't have to have a long explanation of what you're looking for. You, you need to bring the new kids up to speed, and and then they're going. And I think that with kids and adults, having kind of those shortcuts as as far as explaining the training in a way that is going to be semi-repetitive, like, oh, we're doing this particular type of drill, it might change. You might do the slow, uh, you know, super slow motion with different techniques, but they know what, the, what you're looking for when they're hitting the mats. Well, there's a lot to that. And I think, you know, it's, it's something that people, you know, especially in jiu-jitsu, I, I think, you know, so much to it that people forget that it's, you know, repetition's a mother of skill. It's like I tell my athletes that are competing. It's like, man, you know, you should be drilling your your game plan so much that by the time that your your matches roll around, you should be tired of doing that stuff, man. It's got to be like, you know. So again, I think it's, you know, with kids got to be different. I mean, and again, there's not nothing wrong with kids if they're prepping for a competition to be able to kind of, uh, you know, you know, hone in their skill like that. But again, it's like. Um, you know, again, I just there's so many great benefits for jujitsu for kids. I I had a great experience at a tournament with a kid. Speaking of tournaments, a couple of a months ago, um, you know, it's, it's just one of this kid's first new tournament. He's new at tournament play, and uh, you know, just like with a lot of schools, we don't emphasize you know uh, headlock headlocks um, as far as like a, a means of holding a student down, just because of people taking the back and whatever. But um, 
uh, and consequently, we don't. We work on headlock escapes to an extent, but we sort of de-emphasize it. And since no one really works them that well, it's sort of like um, you know, it, people don't really aren't, aren't as prepared as, as they should be sometimes. So I had this kid, the most earnest kid, just a super smart kid, very, a very good student. Of course, he draws a judo player, his first draw at this tournament, and he gets slapped right in case of Gatami, and this kid is holding him down like, like he knows how to work that case yeah. really well. And, and if you've ever had a kid or, or, or it's another athlete that just gets put in that, if you get caught and you're late and you're not on your side, if, you're, if your elbow isn't next to your body, it just sucks to get out of there, right? But when we talk about grit and you know growth mindset, that was so awesome to see this this kid. This kid grew. This this boy in many ways became a man in, in, in a small measure during this match that he had. It was something that because you know he's listening to my coaching and I'm telling him to get on his side, hook his legs, scoot his hips away. And for two and a half minutes, this kid was just being smothered. I mean, just pinned to the floor. They were circling around a circle. You can just imagine what it looked like, right? But in the last 30 seconds of the match, he got out, he passed that kid's guard and mounted him. And, and he won. So it's, it's like, the, you know, tournament competition is not for every child. But man, when you have an experience like that, I mean, it's, it's hard to say that, that a child could get that in other activities. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's, it, it just made me feel like, man, this is like, this is really awesome. So. Yeah, that's that's a cool story, and it just shows the learned grit that that kid had. That I don't know if you'd have put that same kid in there a year ago if he just would have quit and gave up. No, and hey cried. man, I tell you, yeah, I mean, and it was funny, man. It was just like it was awesome, and it was something too that, like, you know, again, it wasn't just like it wasn't just great. I mean, he was listening to what I was doing. He was he was being deliberate, which is really want what I want our students to be, and um, and the parents were just beaming. And by the way, the dad was like, a, I think he was like a. a a high level investor in like Silicon Valley companies. And he just was complimenting and he was like, man, I am, I'm so glad that I've got my son in your program because he, he is learning things here that he can't learn anywhere else. So again, when, when, you know, people are listening to this, this podcast, it's like, you know, think about how you're impacting. And again, you could, the adult could have the exact same learning experience, but man, how is that kid going to be equipped? How are they going to be like, you know, uh, able to kind of, of go into the world armed with that sort of experience. And I, I just, uh, man, it's just like uh, having a martial arts school. It's, it's, a very, it's a very special occupation where we can really and dramatically improve the, the power of, of our adults. But if you can do it the right way, man, you can make an impression on a child that will last a lifetime. Yeah, and that, that impression at such an early age has, has large impacts further down the road. Um, also going back to that kid, you know, stuck in that headlock or, or Kasumatami, uh, you know, the fact that he was able to even hear you is impressive to me. Sometimes you, an adult will be stuck in a position and, and they just, they can't hear what you're saying. Not just cause their ears are covered, right. but just cause they're in that zone of I'm in trouble. I can't get out. I'm and they get in that, that mental state of their ears aren't even working because they're well, it's, fighting it's, for their it's life. It's so hard, I, especially when they're competing, right? Because, again, like you could like roll all day and all night. You could like do tons of rounds, and it's not going to prepare you for the adrenal dump that you get when you go in to compete. I mean, it's just and again, even if you go and do gym exchanges and you're with people that you don't know, it's still not the same. I mean, it's it's just a different thing. I mean, the only way you can prepare for it maybe like by doing sprints 
and someone shooting live ammo at you at the same time. You know, I mean, it's, it's like that, that mental component, that mental stress is, it, it's, it's different, you know? And, uh, I, I mean, it's something that, um, it's, it's hard to simulate, but it, again, I think it has value. It doesn't have value for everyone. And then some people just don't want to do it. And that's, you know, so, that's, that's something you have to respect as well. And I think that's, you know, um, you don't want it just to be something that weeds the weak kids out. You want to make it sure it's something for everyone. So, do you find that most parents want the kids to compete or just to train, or, or what do they expect? Most kids, kids? Don't, don't compete. I mean, even in my school, it's like, um, you know, and again, when we have a tournament, I mean, you know, you know, two hundred and fifty or so uh, kids, we will have probably like thirty to forty kids go and compete. I mean, it's just, and you know, sometimes it's it's more than others, but like. Um, it just people don't, I mean, it's, it, and it's hard too, because, you know, again, I think with parents nowadays, it's like, um, at least in my area, it's like they, they, the most valuable commodity they have is time. And the, the idea of hanging around a, gym, a gymnasium for an entire Saturday, waiting for your child to go in for a single elimination tournament may not be the thing that they really want to do, you know? So, um, and it just, sometimes it's not the palate for the kid. Sometimes kids just doesn't want to deal with it. And, uh, um, but some of my best, my best, uh, my best kids, I have never like competed a day in their life, and they give the kids that are fire breathers that compete in my school the run for their money. Is that is there a optimum age that if the parent is uh, wanting the kids, let's say a parent's got four kids of four different ages, and they, they say, yeah, it'd be nice if they can get out there and compete. They would learn a lot from that experience. I, what age of group would would you say is a good time to start? I, I, I let them come. I mean, you know, gosh, like here at some of the tournaments in the Northwest, it's like I've seen kids like four and five years old going out there. I mean, granted, what are they doing at that age? Or they're just running at one another. <laughs> I mean, it's really kind of cute. But I mean, you know, again, they are learning the game of it. And, you know, I think the, the earlier they're exposed to it, I think actually the earlier they're exposed to it, the, the less, you know, anxiety they have or, or they, they, they have the ability to think things through more easily. Uh, they don't read into it like it's a zero-sum game of like, you know, it's – it's a personal front if they lose, you know, I mean, it's something that, you know, just, you know, having that, the, the, the growth mindset about losing, you know, it's, you know, that's a big component of the growth mindset is that you either, you either win or learn really like losing is feedback, but so much, so many people take losing is, you know, it's, it's a commentary on, on who they are as a person. And that's, that's again, this whole idea. And I actually, I think we talked about this on the last uh, podcast about, Effort praising versus person praising a child, uh, and again, that's a part of the growth mindset. Is that um, you know when you praise a child, you praise their effort and strategy, not them as a person. In other words, if Johnny wins a tournament, you don't go to Johnny and say, "Johnny, you're so amazing at jujitsu." Um, you say something to the effect of, "Johnny, man, that was an amazing guard pass," or you know that kid almost passed your guard, but man, you were like framing and shielding and recovering you were on your edge coming up to your knees you were man you just stuck with that you were not letting him get to the side of you i'm really proud of you and again the the reason why you don't praise the child and you you praise their effort is because at some point they're going to face a kid that has went to the pans and has maybe placed at the pans and their outcome may not be as good as when they were doing the little local regional tournaments. <laughs> and if the kid is is been praised about, oh, you're so good at jujitsu, what's going to happen when they lose to some kid that's like, you know, um, training at AOJ, right? <laughs> they're they're going to like say, oh, I'm not good at jujitsu. 
a kid that's been praised in terms of their effort and strategy will relate to, okay, I, I, I got beat, but I got beat because I wasn't on my edge. I wasn't going out to my knees. I didn't work my guard recovery the right way. So it's, it's this simple mind idea of, of the simple mindset idea that can be a subtle shift for school owners and students that I think it's just seismic. It's seismic in the approaches that it can yield an instructor to really producing a, a, great, a great school. Yeah, and that's I'm picturing it's not just for kids that are competing. It's if they're rolling, you're you're praising them and and commenting about their uh, performance or their technique or their effort or strategy. strategy. Totally. Uh, so you don't have to compete to get those sort of uh, feedback. You can get that anytime. Is there an age category where you let the kids start rolling, or do you prefer to play like uh, the games and the and the and the and the drills that are a little more playful? Well, again, for me, it's like, I mean, the four to six-year-olds, I mean, and again, this is something that, again, in our community, we're, we try to, like, you know, be very careful about is, is submissions with kids. I think, like, you know, uh, younger kids, the little grapplers, I don't see any reason why a four to seven-year-old, unless they're going to be going to a competition and they have ex- an extreme uh, su- supervision of their skills, should have normal fare of submitting one another. I just don't think it's appropriate. I think they could do it on the instructors. I think that's totally okay. But I, there has to be like something where, you know, uh, the other conversation is, is it going to hurt a child who's four to, four to seven years old to learn about the positional game of jiu-jitsu? Passing the guard, getting to the mount. I mean, you know, learning how to sweep off your back. I mean, those are things that I think probably a lot of adults could probably do with Right, learning about the game of jujitsu and the position game before they start going into the meat and potatoes of submitting people. So, but I think kids, you know, as long as is they're supervised in the right way and they understand, you can even create little mini games about you know keep and sweep or pressure and pass with kids, so they can understand what those words mean. And um, I think that's a great way of getting them involved with it. But again, I just think it's it's really important to make sure that that. Submissions are something that are, are. I've even heard like John Danaher talk about the same idea that there's no reason to be like you know um, having a kid working on a rear naked choke that's you know you know a young child because they're just they don't necessarily need that they can they'll get that as time goes on but especially for like a a, a school confrontation I mean I think it would be much more appropriate for a child to learn how to do a takedown pass a kid's guard get to the mountain hold them. Than it would to be like you know, do an elbow pick, get to the kids back and and choke them. <laughs> See what I'm saying? Yeah, one will probably get you uh, broken up, and the other one will probably get you expelled. Or yeah, at exactly. Least and I think it's 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 also like something that as a school owner you have to ask yourself: Are are you willing to to do that? Are you willing to to take that risk? And I think it's important to make sure that that you have that conversation with your staff and whatever. And these are all things, you know, again, that's something that's really important to me is that, you know, um, I've created this, this community, the kids Day revolution is really, it's a website that has curriculum. It has games and drills. It has the little grappler curriculum with all the flow kind of ideas. It has, uh, um, you know, systems for your school about how to do an info call, how to do low cost and no cost marketing. It has all these things kind of wrapped up in it. But it also has a Facebook group, a private Facebook group, where you know I share ideas and other school owners share ideas, people that are in Australia, people that are in Costa Rica, people that are all over the United States that share ideas about how to build their youth program. Because I just don't I – don't, I don't think you can learn how to have a successful school from a, a DVD. 
I don't think a one-off thing is it. I think it's something that you have to have a community of people and it has to be an ongoing effort um, that, you know, people are trying to help one another to be able to grow that, that environment in your school. Cause it is, you know, I, I look at a, at a school as like a living, breathing organism almost. I mean, and you've got to look at it in terms of, of, you know, how you're, you're growing that, that school in a way to where you can be, you can celebrate your fifth anniversary. You can celebrate your 10th anniversary. You can get to two decades in business and be in the same place and have lots of gray hair like me. Um, but it's something that um, I, I, I've never, I've not been able to do this by myself. I've had tons of consultants that have helped me out, you know, in terms of you know pointing me in the right direction and giving me lots of resources because I think that's that's where it's at, and it's and it's it's got to be sustainable. It can't be that you know you're, you know, you know one easy trick to getting a hundred students. Give me a break, man. It's like. I, I don't think I think the most students I've ever signed up in my life in one month has been like 15 students. You know, it's like um, it, there's so much hyperbole in our industry. It's it's actually kind of interesting because in the martial arts world, there's a whole industry about trying to make school owners more successful, and it's like um, a lot of it is kind of smoke and mirrors. It's things that I've seen in the in the stand up world. People are trying to adapt over to the kids market, and it's just it's interesting to see that. Um, you have to look at it as a long-term, long-term thing. It's got to be something that you look at your school as being something that you want to take pride in and grow it to a level, or uh, you know, ethically and organically, so that you can, you know, look back at it and say, "Man, this has been a great run," and I, I really feel good about the work that I've done. Corbett, um, kind of a maybe a more business side of things. When when somebody brings in uh, a kid or maybe a, a couple siblings to learn jujitsu. And they they have really no idea what they're going to be doing, breaking blocks or you know katas right. or whatever. Who's it more important to, to really talk to and 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 I guess sell jujitsu to? Is it the kids or is it the adults or is it going to be fifty fifty? Well, I think that's that's you know that's part of it. I mean, you know, in our community, we have a a, a way of of doing an introductory program that I think is really important because I don't think you should just have people blend into your class. I think it's something that it really you know, to be able to have a a conversation, a, 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 just having a child blend into the class is way too casual. It has to be something where, you know, in, 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 I know it can be hard for school owners to do this, but having a block of time where you can have family, have a brand new student, have one-on-one attention, where it's it's that they're getting introduced to your school, they're, you're talking about how your school is not just about learning how to, you know, grapple with a, a jacket on, but really we're about a, we're a school that develops life skills in students, and this is the way that we do it. <laughs> this is the way. This is a good little tip for your your, uh, um, you know, for your listeners. I don't give kids a white belt when they first start my program. They have to earn their white belt, and I tell the kids in our our our, our first lesson, I say, um, belts in jujitsu are not given; they're earned. This black belt I'm wearing, it's, uh, you know, this black that I'm, I'm wearing, I, I've worked a long time at in order to get to this black belt, right? So um, every belt in jiu-jitsu is earned. And in fact, for you to earn your white belt, you have to do something for me. You know, because um, we talk about, you know, respect and what respect means uh, in the introductory lesson with the students. And I say, well, you know, what does respect mean again? And the kid says, oh, treat other people the way you want to be treated. And then I say, okay, great. Well, who should you treat with respect? And then the kid says, you. 
meaning me. And I'm like, uh, yeah, that's important, but there's someone else here in the room you should probably treat with respect. And I point back to the parents. I'm like, oh, yeah, 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 mom and dad. I said, well, how do you treat your parents with respect? Uh, well, the way the best way of doing it is by being what's called a first-time listener. You do things the right way right away. And that's really your first lesson in, in jiu-jitsu is that I'm going to give you this sheet of paper. You're going to take this home, and you're going to practice first-time listening. Bring it back with us for your, your first group class, and I'm going to award you your white belt. Don't, if you don't bring it in, I won't give you your white belt. And kids always bring it back in. But it's actually setting that conversation. It's setting – it's really a value conversation because – what is learning how to wrestle with a jacket on worth? Not much. What is making your child's future brighter by developing a philosophy of living, by developing a growth mindset, by developing grit and self-discipline and empathy? What, what's that worth to your child? That's worth a whole lot more than the simple small amount of tuition you're going to be paying per month. So it's, it's really – about having that conversation both with the child and with the families, but then having something that's just not lip service paid to that, but it's something that, you know, like what we do is we have mat chats that every week the kids have a mat chat that's, you know, around those words like courage or discipline or honor. What do those words mean? And then there's an assignment that goes along with it. So the kids can, the school owner can use that as, as a way of developing this a conversation about you know our school as being like a finishing school for kids, and uh, I think that's that's critical for for um, school owners. Uh, the I like the idea of having a mat chat and kind of having it scheduled, and it has a topic. How do you keep that from going to that Charlie Brown style of the kids are staring there at you talk and they don't pick up anything? Exactly. Well, I think it has to be something that's age appropriate. And that's one of the, the great things about having someone with a master's degree in education as part of, of, of our, uh, our program that's actually went through this is that uh, Brandon and myself have really worked through, um, um, really worked through the best ways of being able to address this and making the, the mat chats interactive and not just, you know, a lecture, but asking the kids questions about like, you know, um, you know, what's, what, what does this look like? Or, you know, what's, how, how could like, uh, learning to escape the bottom of cross sides teach you about grit, about being mentally tough? Yeah. Is that is that comfortable being underneath of the bottom? Does it feel good being underneath when you're being squashed? So all the kids can relate. Like, yeah, it sucks down there, right? So um, it, it's it should be something that, and again, too, it's not. I, again, we have to make sure that we're not becoming that instructor that really loves the sound of his or her own voice. But it's got to be short, short and succinct. And and again, you know, for us. We want to help the school owners by having that done in advance. It's already done for you. You just call it up on a tablet computer and your staff reads it off to the kids and boom, it's done. Um, because there's a lot of like a lot of heavy lifting that we've done for school owners that I think it's something that if you were to try to reinvent all these things as far as systems and curriculum, I mean, you could spend the next 10 years and, and you probably wouldn't be ahead of where you're at if you just were part of our group. So, Yeah, it's a, it's a really cool thing you're doing here. I think it's it's definitely a wise investment for anybody who has a school and they're they're looking to, uh, I guess, take it to the next level to just say something that's pretty 
Yeah. Well, you know, and, and again, for us, it's like, you know, we realize it's an ongoing relationship that we have with our school owners. And it's something that we really want people to feel that it, it's not just going to be something where they, they join, I hit a, a magic button, and then yeah. 150 students show up in their school. Man, it, it's a lot of work. And if anyone is like saying it's not a lot of work or they've got, they've got the answer, I'm going to pull, pull back this curtain and all the answers are hidden behind my little secret paywall, uh, you know – that's a joke, man. It's like it's hard work and it's smart work. It's not just about teaching all your classes. It's about like thinking about what's most important and what's the highest and best use of your time. So again, that's something that, you know, for us, we work really hard. Like we're filming more curriculum uh, uh, next week. We're always updating, you know, our systems. We have like a whole autoresponder sequence. But again, that's that's for people that have already joined our program. And, you know, again, it's something that, Again, there's a lot of noise out there. There's a lot of noise in our space. Even now, it's like people are like starting to come around with ideas about you know teaching kids, and I've seen some of it. Some of it's pretty good stuff, no no doubt. But again, it's it's a one off, and so um, we talked about this as well, Byron. Is that we're actually doing something for uh, your listeners that if they wanted to kind of check out and see if this is something that they they want to kind of uh, get involved with. we're having like a little a little sampler of you know some of the content uh, i have a i actually have a dvd that i made with tom oberhue who's a great coach he has a, he's another educator from uh, uh, from portland that helped me out with this dvd a few years ago and it's all about teaching four to seven year olds jujitsu and it's actually got a whole like bunch of games and ideas it has also um in this package that we've made for your listeners it's also has a manual i think it's like 25 page manual about like how to structure your classes map management techniques energy breaks life skills discussions those sort of things but what's also kind of cool is um, with this package that we have, I also have a 20-minute consultation session with me. So I can get on with a school owner and just talk to them about what they're doing in their school, give them ideas. I don't do high-pressure sales. I mean, I'm, I'm a school owner. I've got a lot of other things going on. But I, I, for me, at my stage in my life, I'm not going to go open up 25 schools. I'm not going to like, you know, um, you know I'm, I'm doing other things that for me, it's like far, uh, far more interesting as far as sideline work goes. But for, for me... I really want other school owners to have the 20 years that I had, to have the last 20 years where I could raise my beautiful daughters to see them graduate happy and healthy and to be well-adjusted young kids, but also to be present in their life to where that, you know, I think that's really what we want. We want to have a school that, that really runs well, that we're delivering great content to, that we really have a sense of that. We're, we're developing great students, but a part of that is that you have to have that support. And a lot of school owners have gotten great support on how to teach adult jujitsu and nothing about how to teach kids. So that's really what I want to do. And this little sample thing is really kind of giving people a look at because when you peel things back and you look even at the DVD, you'll see there's just tons of content there. And when I take people through even our, our, our full-fledged community on our website and they see what we do, it's like it's a no-brainer because there's just so many hours, like years of development into this so that you know these school owners can really have a crack at really making their school what they want it to be. That's awesome. It's going to be – it's a great tool to, to have to develop your kids' program. Uh, like you said, there's no – you know, answer that, you know, do this. It's easy. Here's your 225 students. <laughs> if someone's telling you that, if someone's telling you, like, oh, get 50 students, like with a special social media app, 
They're selling you things, man. It's not easy. If it was easy, everyone would have like a thousand students. It's a tough. It's a tough business. Yeah, and it's only getting tougher because there's more people entering into it, and it's it's something that, you know, um, you know, it's it's something where you have to have as many tools as possible to guarantee your success, and and you only have so many hours in a day, and you know, if you start you know creating life skills curriculum or you know you're, you're trying to adapt your youth your adult program to your youth program or try to come up with drills and games. Pretty soon, like, you know, years have gone by and you're in the same spot that you were in originally. And this is kind of, this is different. This is like a you know, different way of doing it. My, my professor, Salo Hibero, who does not, he prays very often on things. He always says that um, I'm, <laughs> I'm the kid whisperer. <laughs> but I don't, I don't know if it's true. I, I, I can manage a, a class pretty well. And professor loves what I do with kids. And um, that's kind of what this all started as is, me trying to contribute to the Hibera Jiu-Jitsu Association's youth programming. And, and um, we just kind of agree that it's, it's best to open this up because there's a lot of good content there for school owners regardless of affiliation. So. And that's one of the things I enjoyed the most with that video is that the, the, that the audience can go check out. It, watching how you, how you run the class, how you control the class, the, the tempo, the, the, the things that aren't necessarily you know, this particular game or this format. It's how you're interacting with the kids and how the class is going and, and the, the environment that you created. I think that's great. And you know, there is a lot of competition out there for what the kids are doing, but I don't really think most of it is other jiu-jitsu schools. Like you're saying, you're wanting to expand this. Most competition is going to be you know, the karate school, the soccer cl- you know, club that they might join, ballet, or just the iPad or playing video but, games but at again, home. It, but if you think about it, like again, if, if, two, if two parents – I don't care if you've got like you know, you know, Naga swords all over your, your wall and you've got gold medals and all these things from your kids' program – if the parent goes in and they see the karate school that has a life skills curriculum and they go to your school and they see that you've got those those medals but yet you're just talking about you know how to pass the guard to the kid on, on day 1 who are they going to choose yeah and, and and it's unfortunate and it's unfortunate but it's something that it's my vision that you know a a jiu-jitsu school should have these things and and when you have them in place especially with jiu-jitsu if you combine the those systems that the karate schools have you know life skills and you know ways of doing introductory lessons and enrollments and even the marketing things that some of them do along with what we have in terms of content man it's it, that's a no-brainer then so the kids are going to learn realistic self-defense that they can test. They're going to have fun every class because kids love to grapple. I mean, they, they love that. It's so much fun, and it's like interactive. They're getting great outdoses exercise. They're not grinding away doing a kata over and over again. You know what I mean? It's like, which one am I going to choose? But again, it's got to be appealing on, on a, a few different levels, and it's something that um, I, I really think that jiu-jitsu schools have a great opportunity. And uh, again, it's something that just to get people started, I, I think it's something that um, you know, again, there's a lot of info out there, but it's something that you have to look at as an ongoing process because it, it's, it's, it's like your jujitsu game, right? If any, if someone says, I'm going to teach you an unstoppable guard pass, well, who's it going to, who's it going to be unstoppable to, right? You know, it's, it's, <laughs> uh, it's, it, there's, there's hyperbole everywhere. And I think it's important that, you know, the smoke and mirrors have to go away in many ways. I mean, I, again, it's like, I've been literally at my school when a kid doesn't wash their hands in the bathroom, I can hear when the pipe doesn't charge because I've been in those four walls so long. 
and I tell the kids to go back in and wash their hands. They think I'm a Jedi. I just have been in that space so long that I know every creak and every noise that goes on <laughs> in that place. So um, hopefully I can be there a few more years, which is great. And I, I just I still love teaching. I love being on the mat. I love interacting. I love watching kids grow. I love I love training. I still love. I got guys going to the Master Senior Worlds. I mean, it's like it's it's awesome. It's it's a great lifestyle, and it can be done. It, it's it's something that. Uh, but again, I think you know, you're if you're a jiu-jitsu school and you're not teaching kids, you're trying to swim with without your legs. You know, you you you, you if you have your kids program, then you've got you know all four all cylinders humming, and you can really make a go of it because it's it's it, we're a small business, man. And, and even if someone says, "Oh, you got 300 students," you know, you're doing really well. You know, Seven Elevens gross more than my school does. You know, I mean, we are the smallest of small businesses. We are cottage businesses at best. And so, I mean, you know, um, it, it, to be to be able to have a profitable, you know, school that meets your family's needs, that allows you to make a good income, income that an attorney might make or a physician might make, is possible if you're teaching kids. But if you're just teaching adults, you're only reaching a little sliver of the total market. So, yeah, absolutely. It's 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 not. I would say most of the people that are be interested in this are, are gym owners, but a lot of people are teaching kids classes as uh, an upper belt, and they're say in the, in the school and says, "Hey, would you want to teach the kids or run the kids program?" That's perfect. You know, the, the, the kids you're impacting. It's worth the investment in yourself to learn. Well, I mean, I mean, you know, and I I have I have people that have have worked that work with in our group they have bigger schools and they've delegated that to their their i have some purple belts and brown belts they're not even professors but they're working in their program and they're killing it i mean i, I had this guy this guy in florida he just posted about like some marketing that we did for him and he's got like added like 20 students over the course of like eight weeks to his program from just some simple stuff that we do for him and again i think it's it's you know having that ready made in other words you know Okay, write your curriculum, write a couple life skills mat chats, you know, that are good, <laughs> that are like, you know, won't have the kids rolling their eyes, that, you know, make a few assignments that the kids can take home and do a part of, of their homework assignments, right? I mean, you start doing that and man, just time just adds up. And again, I think it's something that um, if people really kind of see what's possible, um, they can really get it going. And I, again, it's, it's, it's not rocket science, but it is different. And again, whether you know it's the teaching on command or all these other things, there's a, there's a different way of doing it that can really be helpful. And uh, and that's the way I'm going to be of service to people. Wow, that's awesome! I definitely am, am happy to help you get this word out here. I uh, it's an awesome program, and I'm I'm happy to have you come on here and share it, and and happy we're kind of teaming up together and 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 delivering this information to the schools. I think this is really going to help. The long-term growth of jujitsu, uh, you know, worldwide and locally in in your city. If you're uh, implementing these techniques and doing these things, if you want to have the school, it, I interview a lot of people, and a lot of them say, "I started jujitsu when I was young," or "I started martial arts when I was a kid." And th- if you want to have the kids that that people are interviewing in twenty or thirty years from now, the, 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 like the like the big names in the sport or the people who are making a big difference, get them as kids. Well, they're, 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 well, again, you got the whole conversation. Yeah. The, even nowadays, the ne- the generation of ki- of kids coming up are the new world champions. I mean, it's it's they didn't start when they were twenty two. 
You know, I mean, they didn't start it like in their their thirties, like I did, right? I mean, it's these kids are like these kids are kids growing up, and they get switched on to jujitsu, and that's all they want to do, man. And it's like, I, I think to be able to ignite that passion in someone at a young age is something that. That's all. That's what we all want because we love this so much. We we see what it can do for people, but to be able to impact a kid like that, I mean, to give them that superpower, to give them the superpower of jujitsu. I mean, it's 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 really an amazing process. So yeah, we're really excited about it. So yeah, what I'll do is um I'll throw that link up for you as well for Byron, so you can share that with your listeners. And again, it's discounted. It's normally like two hundred dollars that we're doing that, but for your listeners, we're do- taking it down to ninety nine dollars for them to get the the you know it's a vi- it's an online video course. They get to download the uh, the manual and they get some time with me just to talk shop. Again, no obligation. You can just check it out and see how it works for them. Awesome. I appreciate that. Uh, couldn't endorse it any stronger. Uh, definitely. You know, I guess you know if it's not for you. If you don't have a gym and, and you don't have any kids or, or you're not involved in that, you know, don't worry about it. But if, if you're looking to you know, strengthen your kids' program or if you have it – if you feel it strong and you want some tips, these things make huge differences. In, in well, yeah, exactly. Lives. I mean, you know, again, $99. I mean, for if you just get like three ideas, which, you know, you'll get that in the first like <laughs> yeah. 10 minutes. You watch the DVD. I mean, you know, about managing the energy of a class. I mean, just that is gold because, you know, um, you, you know, this is my saying. You can't control a group of kids. You can only control the environment. So you have to be the master at manipulating the environment, of kind of taking the, the, the pulse of the class. Are they out of control? Are they bored and yawning? Well, you have to do different things when you see those signals. And if you don't, then you're going to be frustrated or you're going to say, ah, kids can't learn jujitsu. This is not for me. I'm going to go back to teaching uh, Barambola. All right. So, um, you know, it's, it's, it's got to be people that, that look at this as being an investment. It's an investment in your school. It's an investment in your school's future. And, and I, I'm talking about teaching kids. Forget you know the product. It's really about if you can get kids involved in your program. I mean, it's it's going to like you know your comp- competitor pool would be better. Um, you're going to have longer term students. And I mean, I can't kick people off the mat, man. There's kids that just love to train. I mean, and uh, we all know that. We all know people that have been a part of our you know schools forever. And to be able to give them that gift is just just awesome. So, yeah, or or you could the alternative, uh, corporate is to do what I've done when teaching kids, fumble through it, not do a very good job, and and have the kids not learn jiu-jitsu very well, and have me get frustrated. You figured what? out everything, uh, all the tricks and all the 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 effective methods of of, of teaching kids, and now you're sharing that. So that's I agree. Well, you know, again, that. I, I I always joke that, and it's true. I mean, I, I don't have all the answers, but. Um, you know, I, I have uh, the email addresses of some of the best guys on the planet. So it's like whether that's technically or just you know, there's there's people that I begged, borrowed, and stolen from, like Professor Tom Oberhue in uh, in Portland, Professor James Popolo, my professor Solomon Shanji, who were both in their teens when they started jujitsu back in Brazil. Um, you know, uh, Matt Jubera in Colorado. These guys have just got giant brains. When it comes to jujitsu and teaching kids, my friend Chris Mlanky back in Ohio, all these people are just, you know, amazing guys that um, are, are really awesome at uh, being able to kind of coach and teach people. So, yeah. Awesome. It's uh, been great talking to you again, Corbett, and I really appreciate uh, you coming on here, uh, sharing some tips and uh, definitely opening the door up for people to learn more. Thanks, Brian. Have a great day. Great speaking with you. I want to thank Corbett Miller for coming on the show. 
and uh, really excited. Uh, he's he's willing to share that his his program with the audience at a discounted rate, and we're kind of working with him on that. And, and so some a little bit of the money that he gets will go towards us and kind of helping each other out. But really, uh, just excited to have him on. I really am behind him for what he's doing and trying to promote uh, kids jujitsu. And it's also making a big part of it is making your school stronger. I asked Rolly Delgado, what are you know, how do you make a strong uh, school and w- what are the key points behind that because I w- went to his school and I was really impressed with it he goes uh, good good jiu-jitsu have a good jiu-jitsu program have a good kids program and then have some sort of a cardio style kickboxing thing if you can get someone to teach that and and different people come for different reasons but kind of that mix of the three has really been a lot of success for him and if you look at Corbett Miller uh, the kids program is super strong and and is like a it, it helps you know financially the school get get uh, very stable you know we're i imagine most of the listening audience is adults and we're already doing jujitsu but to bring in more people as kids to do jujitsu when you hear about you know some some person you know this person is a multi-world champion black belt a lot of times they started as a kid and that's really what what's coming through the system and we don't know who's going to be it doesn't really matter you know whether this kid's a world champion or not but really they're going to get a ton of benefits from jujitsu so i really want to uh, try to grow kids and jiu-jitsu uh, down the road. And I think that Corbett has the same mission, and it really helps all the schools that are doing it, really stepping up their kids' program. So thanks, uh, Corbett, for jumping on here with us. Had a great time talking with him. Yeah, I just remember uh, back in the day, you know, kids' programs were, you know, non-existent. You know, most schools, you know, would be lucky to have a couple kids. And, uh, you know, some of these some of these programs or some of these schools now, you know, like Corbett Miller School, and I know uh, – um, you know, Justin Rader, uh, having the, uh, the kids program, at, uh, Lovato school. I mean, just have huge amounts of kids, um, in the program and it's great. It's just grown jujitsu and, uh, it's just going to be people training, you know, that much more, you know, not counting the health aspects and the athletic aspects, uh, that these kids are going to learn. Um, so, uh, you know, it's just incredible when you can grow kids programs like that. Making a difference in these kids lives. I think uh, I think we all agree to that. Gary, looking at the article this week, I'm excited. It's a uh, it's an article from the world of judo. It's at judocrazy.com, and uh, I think we could uh, share a lot of common things. And this one will relate well to the competitors. Uh, five common mistakes in weight cutting. And there's a lot of mistakes in weight cutting. Oh, I'm sure, and I'm sure when I used to cut weight, I've made plenty of them. But uh, it says, it's talking about, you know, competition judo. It says an estimated uh, 82% of practitioners are trying to cut some weight. And so you're talking about losing between 2 to 5% of your body weight. And uh, and 40% of them are losing more than that, 5 to 10%. So people cutting a lot of weight out there. Uh, jiu-jitsu is a little different. A lot of times in jiu-jitsu, uh, you're weighing in shortly before your match is starting. Not always. You might be able to find uh, some some places where they, they let you weigh in the day before and the weight cutting could be different. Uh, you know, at the lower levels of jiu-jitsu, I wouldn't really urge stressing about making weight cuts. You know, pick a weight that you could make. You don't want to get, you know, DQ'd and not be able to compete. They might say, no, you, you're actually in this weight class and let you compete at the higher weight class. But you... You got a lot going on that day, and to have your weight be like the big stress, uh, it's kind of nice if that doesn't need to be one. But high-level stuff, you know, definitely in judo, it's there. People are cutting weight because why? Because because why? Why? Because they, they it, it makes bigger, a difference. They want to be strong. 
Yeah, bigger and stronger than their competitor. So if you could have 10 pounds advantage or five pounds or even just a few over your competitor, that's an advantage. So the the first mistake on here, I think it's the one that is probably made quite a bit, would be sports drinks. And yeah, you think sports drinks are going to be great. These people are athletes. They're cutting weight. They need to be somewhat hydrated, but you don't want to be too hydrated. That's really what you're cutting is water weight. But sports drinks, uh, they want to help you with your electrolytes. They do have some salt in there. And the salt really can sabotage your efforts to cut weight. It makes you retain water. So avoiding some sports drinks, uh, you know, that really you're trying to avoid salt here. And that's kind of a recurring theme. Uh, fruits and vegetables is the second mistake. Uh, you know, it talks about having fruits and vegetables as a, you know, a healthy diet and maintaining healthy weight, but they're not really going to help you lose weight for a competition. Yeah, and they, they go on and talk about, you know, with that fiber, uh, the amount of fiber in there, it's going to stay in your intestines longer. Um, so it uh, doesn't pass as quick. It just stays there. And Yeah, so I think that's one, another one that it just seems like, yeah, I should be drinking sports drinks and I should be eating lots of fruits and vegetables. Uh, but uh, that might be a mistake. The the third one on the list, and we'll put a link to these in the show notes because we're definitely not reading everything they say about these, but the omelet for breakfast. So now we're transitioning from just cutting weight to you're traveling, you're at a hotel or somewhere like that, and you're trying to find something healthy to eat. You look at the omelet. Uh, you might have one of those omelet uh, little bars or whatever that the guy will make your omelet for you, put in some stuff. But really, in that situation, you don't know how much salt's going into the egg unless you could request no salt. And yet again, the salt is going to sabotage some of your weight-cutting uh, efforts. And then uh, let's say you're staying in the hotel and you decide not to have the omelet at the breakfast, you know, because you are you can't talk to the chef about the uh, salt. What else do they normally have there? We go, go back to number two, fruit. <laughs> so you definitely <laughs> got to be careful uh, Careful there. Uh, you know, you never... Never know uh, what you're gonna what you're gonna have, uh, you know, at your breakfast table there at at the hotel room. Yeah, and then the the fourth one here is, is food on the airplane. Uh, it's gonna be food with a lot of preservatives and additives that are gonna help uh, you not lose weight or cut the weight. Really not. This is between losing weight and cutting weight. Uh, cutting weight, you're just you're kind of dehydrating yourself. Uh, losing weight's more of a long term process. Some of these are just looking back. If you're traveling and competing and cutting weight. The fact that you're not cutting weight at home is a challenge because you're on the road, you're on, in the air, wherever you happen to be floating around. It, it's going to be tough to control your food. And so you really have to be smart about uh, planning ahead a little bit and, and, and say you don't have some food. What can Looking at a menu or looking at a couple different places to eat and saying which one of these places is going to provide me food or nutrition that won't sabotage my weight cutting efforts. And also keep me fed. You know, you do have to have that food energy in your body. Uh, going on the list here, Gary, dehydrating too early. They're talking about like in the morning? Yeah. Well, not necessarily the morning, Byron. Uh, basically, uh, what the author's talking about is, uh, you know, maybe start, you know, cutting back on your water, you know, a week ahead of time or 10 days ahead of time. And, uh, you know, that's, uh, you know, way too early to uh, start cutting back. Uh uh, you need those fluids and, uh, you know, cutting back that quick or that long of time is, is not going to do your body good. Yeah, it's uh, it's I think the, the big tale here or the big lesson to be learned here is if it's your first time cutting weight, it shouldn't be while you're competing. Maybe set up a little mock weight cut situation a month ahead of time 
or a few months ahead of time and say, okay, uh, on this certain date, I want to hit the scale and be, I don't know, 10 pounds lighter or whatever, and then go through all the motions of of trying to uh, cut some weight and experiment with that and, and get there, and then get on the scale and see what you did, and then go roll and see how you feel and and see if it was a good move for you. Just the idea that the first time you're cutting weight is at your tournament and you're really struggling and, and, and stressing your body a lot is not a real big advantage. I think that's what a lot of wrestlers have a good advantage with, with cutting weight or staying at a healthy weight that they want to compete at because they're doing this a lot as uh, younger, basically as children and young adults, uh, cutting weight and going through this process on a weekly basis almost. It, they become masters at controlling their weight and competing at a certain uh, weight or uh, level of starvation sometimes. And it, it's just a, it's impressive, but it, it can, in my experience, suck the fun out of competing. Yeah, it can definitely suck the fun out of competing. Uh, you know, that's the part that's that's not fun, uh, you know, cutting weight, uh, getting down to your weight. Um, but you make some good points about, uh, you know, you need to practice you know, cutting weight. As you practice, you get better at it. Uh, you know, you get the timing right. Um, you know, you'll start feeling a little bit better on the mat. You know, your first time that you cut, if you do everything, you know, incorrectly or your body's not taken to it, you know, you're not going to perform very well. You're not going to have a, a lot of energy and strength on the mat. So, uh, you know, definitely, uh, you know, practice cutting, you know, beforehand. Uh, you definitely don't want to uh, have your very first time you know, at a big competition that you've never, you never tested out before and you just go out there very weak and, uh, you know, you end up getting smashed. Um, so definitely, uh, you know, practice it and, uh, and see what works best for you. Yeah. I remember, uh, many years ago, uh, cutting weight and, and I had it down to where I, w- I got on the scale the morning of the, or the morning of the weigh in and I was two pounds heavy and I said, okay, two pounds is, and I don't remember what it was. It was, you know, 30 minutes in the sauna. And I had already figured out where, I think it was in Dallas, where where the sauna was going to be and all that sort of thing. So I get 30 minutes in the sauna and go hop on the scale and perfect. And I think that really took away a lot of the stress as far as, will I make weight? The answer was, yes, I'll make weight and here's how I'm going to do it. And I don't have to worry about that. So, I, you know, I, I really, this is an interesting article. It definitely, if you're cutting weight, yeah, it could help you out just considering these things. But I I don't know if cutting weight for the newer competitors is always a wise move. If I think losing weight, if you're at un, if you have a few extra pounds to lose, and you're looking at the weight class, yeah, and you could be weight. and you could go down a weight class if you lose five pounds, that would be awesome <laughs> to compete with the smaller people. Uh, you know, it's a good move. You know, drop that five pounds of extra weight you're carrying or ten or whatever it could be. If you could do that. Keep it off when you're done. Perfect. But your first tournament to try to cut a bunch of water weight and then try to compete, you might be a little dehydrated or you might be a lot dehydrated. If you're weighed in right before you step on the mat to compete, you're going to be dehydrated. And uh, I just, it's it's different, obviously, for judo, but a lot of similarities coming on. We will put the link to that in the show notes. You can go check out the article if you're interested in cutting weight and avoiding those mistakes. You know, Byron, I am so happy this week, and it's not just from being on vacation. It is because we have a mat tail this week, and I don't have to uh, figure out how to make up some uh, crazy uh, non-published audiobook. <laughs> oh, your lucky day, Gary. It is my lucky day. <laughs> Let's roll the mat tail. This is Matt Tails. 
we bring you amazing jujitsu stories. The stories might be funny, unfortunate, it could be about an epic fail or an epic win. So sit back, my friend, relax, dry off your sweat from rolling, and enjoy Matt Tales. Saturday is one of my favorite days of the week because of Saturday Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. I make it all the time unless I have something going on. This Saturday, I had a lot going on, but I had arranged my schedule perfectly to fit Jiu-Jitsu. I had a lot to do. I would still be able to go make it to train at noon. The first thing I had to do was go to the driver's license branch. So I woke up extra early made it there and made it back in good time. When I got home, I had to drive my daughter to work. As I dropped her off, I noticed my gym bag was not in my truck. I could still make this work. I had an 11 o'clock appointment for my oil change, so I raced home, grabbed my gym bag with my gi, and threw it into the truck, then hot-rotted it to the Lube Express, making it there just in time. Lube Express did not disappoint. They were quick, 20 minutes there, and I was thinking... I had enough time to stretch before warm-ups began. This is when I ran into a bit of road work, so I created my own detour to save myself time. This is going to set me back, but the construction would have cost me dearly. The detour ended with me hopping into a store parking lot and going around the back of the building. Just as I pull into the parking lot of my school, I look at the clock and I had done it. I had arrived just a couple of minutes before class started. Perfect timing. Unbelievable against all odds. I wasn't going to have time to stretch before class, but that's okay. I would just jump right into the normal class like most students do anyway. As I got closer to the school, something began to catch my attention. There were no cars in the parking lot. I pulled up to the school anyway, put my car in park, and I felt isolated from my team. What was going on? I got my phone out. I opened my calendar, something I had not had time to do this morning. I was so busy. And seeing scheduled on my calendar, no class competition this Saturday. I had driven all over town, wasted a bunch of gas, created a masterpiece of a scheduled morning, all for nothing. To sit in my car outside of a locked door with beautiful mats and nobody around. I always go to Saturday Jiu-Jitsu, unless I have something on my schedule. Or maybe the entire team has something on their schedule. This has been Matt Tales. Some of the names and places may have changed. We may, in fact, have taken some creative liberties with the story. In order to keep Matt Tales going, we need more tales. Tales from listeners like you. Send your tales to bjjbrick at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing your amazing stories. Thanks again for sending in a Matt tale. If you have a kind of a crazy, funny, or wild story, jujitsu related, type it up, send it to us at bjjbrick at gmail.com. Be happy to have your story become a Matt tale. Uh, not all stories actually work out for us, but a lot of them have so far, and it's been a great way to kind of get more audience participation in the show and have a lot of good times doing it. Yeah, and you'll become my best friend.
from getting me out of having to do an audiobook. So please, please, for my sake, send in some Matt Tales. Yes, for Gary's sake. Uh, I want to thank everybody who's shared the show. Uh, the, the show, this is episode 200, and we're going strong. You know, episode, uh, I don't know, you go back 10 episodes. We, we were doing strong. We had we had what we were happy with for uh, people listening and that sort of thing. And and this brick's, you know, trying to stay afloat. We're trying to actually do, do more things. You know, I think it would be neat to, to go travel and, and go to a tournament or two each year and, and just get out and meet everybody and trying to get Gary and I to do that. We're hoping to do that sometime soon. Uh, raising funds helps out a lot. But uh, recently, somebody, and I don't really know what's going on, somebody has shared the show, uh, maybe talked about it on another podcast, maybe sent it out in an email, and we've been getting a lot of downloads. So uh, our last month's downloads were almost triple what we were averaging. And uh, it's just it's just been incredible. Um, I think somebody with a, a significant audience has has mentioned us. And, and what's happening is people are downloading like all of the past episodes. There's 200 now. So people are going on and downloading like 100 episodes and then and listening to those and then going on and getting the next 100. And it's just been crazy. It's it's not been one particular episode standing out, but it has been a lot more traffic and a lot more people listening to the show. And so, uh, thank you. If if you're new to the podcast, you're listening to this episode, and you're like, yeah, I joined it because so and so had it in their email blast or mentioned it on their show, and it and 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 you could tell us how that happened. We like to know. But uh, otherwise, we'll just keep smiling and talking to you guys the same way we have. But you know, definitely appreciate all these the, the new people that are listening to the show at episode 200 here. And uh, it's just it's just great, you know. We're, I think we do a good job with the show. We work hard on it, and uh, somebody out there has recognized it and and shared it. I've been trying to figure out how it's been done, but I don't know. So, uh, thank you for showing up, I guys. Personally, <laughs> I personally think it's uh, I did put a picture of you out there on the internet. You know, just a picture, a close up picture of your face, and I think that's what's happening. You know, a lot of people are seeing that and like man, that's a good looking guy right there. And, uh, going back and downloading all the episodes. So, you know, I think, uh, part of that has to do with uh, me posting your picture there online. Byron. I think what it, I think that you might be partially right on that. Like they think, yeah, look at that guy, boy, he must have a good voice because it, <laughs> <laughs> which even that is lacking in the, in the quality phase, you know, kind of nasally voice, you know, but, uh, <laughs> I think and that a picture's lot of people help. are saying if he can do jujitsu, yeah, they're saying if he can do jujitsu, I can do it. <laughs> so uh, you're helping a lot of people start there, also. So uh, you're an ambassador to the sport. Well, thanks. It's it's uh, it's an honor. It really is an honor yeah. to help encourage people and to help people uh, stick with jujitsu or try jujitsu or get better at it. As we reflect on this episode 200 landmark, Gary. Episode 200, the landmark. Um, you know, speaking of episode 200, you know, we had one to that. We're up to episode 201. Um, next week, we have uh, uh, Hicks and Gracie Blackbelt, uh, Eddie Fivey on the show from uh, Saratoga Springs, New York. Uh, he's going to be on the show and talking about uh, the Hickson Cup uh, coming up. So uh, definitely uh, make sure you tune in next week. It's going to be an awesome episode. Yep. It's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, already done the interview, and, and it's a totally unique uh tournament they, they have a t they have your typical jiu-jitsu tournament they also have a self-defense tournament which i had no idea how that would even work and also hickson will be teaching a seminar so uh really it's going to be a great time 
uh, it's one of the things, if, if we could, we would like to go. That would be an awesome experience to, to make it to this. Uh, maybe next time, Gary. Uh, but, you know, we're talking about supporting the show. Patreon has really been a great support of the podcast. All If you want to just keep it quick here, if you want to support the show, uh, check out the link to Patreon where you can support us per episode. It really means a lot to all the people who are on there. They have saved the show once before. They've helped make the show a lot better, and that's a lasting effect. So thank you, Patreon supporters. Yeah, we appreciate each and every one of you. Um, like Byron says, you know, we want to be able to keep this show going without a little bit of help from you guys. So uh, um, thank you from the bottom of our hearts. We really appreciate it. Yeah. Uh, one more thing. <laughs> I keep wanting to throw in things again and again here. But uh, it's been months, Gary, since we've had a review. We we kind of stopped asking for reviews on iTunes. But they're so much fun. Uh, to read those, I think the show is kind of promoting itself in other ways. But the 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 idea of having the iTunes reviews does help people find the show and get exposure. If you want to write us a review on iTunes, we would love it. Uh, we would love to share that with the audience. If you can make it funny, that's even better. And uh, just throwing that out there because it's been we haven't asked for it for probably six months. I don't know how long, but it, I, I got a I get like a little report how many reviews you get each month. And it said zero. And I look back and it said it zero the month before that, too. So I know we're out there listening, guys. If you feel like writing a review and helping us out, you may not be able to help us out on Patreon. But if you want to write a review to, on iTunes or wherever, gbrick at gmail.com, maybe take a screenshot or send us what you wrote. And we'd be happy to read that to the audience. It's been a lot of fun. We've had some definite funny reviews on there. And check them out because they're funny and they're yeah. on iTunes. You can go read them. Yeah, we actually, uh, you know, we're. Uh, promoting getting reviews so much you know a few years ago that actually we had a uh, didn't we have a contest like reviewer of the year yeah um, I remember when we did that and I remember uh, Nathan Hadley won it so uh, you know definitely get your reviews in and maybe if we get enough of them we can have another contest or something so uh, you know send them in make them funny and uh, we appreciate the support yep check us out on social media we're Facebook YouTube is our growing social media outlet Facebook is one you can give us a holler and we'll both be there responding and have a good time with you and uh, also on Twitter and we also have a podcast uh, which you're listening to right now so thanks for checking out the podcast <laughs> yeah we, we definitely have to mention we have a podcast even though you're listening to the podcast uh, it seems a bit redundant. Know, some people forget about that it does yeah. seem a bit redundant well, you know, now you say it <laughs> you know and uh, the thing we really appreciate uh, like Byron said earlier you know tell all your friends about us um you know, the best uh, marketing we can get is you telling your friends uh, that you enjoy the show. Um, you know, that that definitely means a lot to us. And uh, um, we want to be able to keep getting more and more listeners each week without uh, your support of, uh, you know, marketing for us. So thank you. Yep. Thank you guys so much for being here with us for the 200 episodes. We'll catch you next week for episode 201. Stay sweaty, my friends. And don't forget to shower. Thank you for listening. I hope you find the time today to roll. After all, the best way to get better at Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is to do Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. <laughs>